You are listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Welcome to The Game Plan on the Raiders Podcasting Network. JT here, week five, Sunday, October 11th, 2020, a 10 a.m. Pacific start, Arrowhead Stadium. As the 2-2 two and two Raiders take on the undefeated 4-0 Kansas City Chiefs, and that's a trend now coming, undefeated. Undefeated Buffalo Bills, undefeated Kansas City, and the Raiders, without a doubt, have their toughest road game of the year. This is it. When the schedule came out, this is the monster game you look at and say, all right, it's going to take everything to win this game, and it's going to be that way for a while. I think everybody who downloads this podcast knows that Kansas City is the team to beat, not only in the NFL, but especially in the AFC West. And as I tell everybody, John Gruden and Mike Mayock are trying to build an organization, a team that can compete and beat Kansas City and go on and win championships. And that starts with trying to be competitive in this game coming up. The world is revolving in a different way. There's no doubt about it that COVID is popping up. COVID is affecting the NFL. Games are being postponed. Games are being moved, and Kansas City has to worry about this as they just played the Patriots. The Raiders have to tighten their COVID protocol, which they're doing, and that's the big picture around the podcast. But on the game plan, we break down the opponent coming up. And the Chiefs, the Chiefs are interesting to me. They're undefeated. They've had a pretty tough schedule, but they just beat the Patriots without having Cam Newton there. And the Chargers pushed them to overtime with a rookie quarterback in Justin Herbert. So the Raiders are catching Kansas City on a short week as they played on Monday night, and the Raiders coming off uh, the loss against Buffalo should be ready to roll. This is their rival. Kansas City despises the Raiders, and there's a lot to play for here. A lot to play for here. And the Chiefs have the regular season all-time record at 65-52-2, and they lead the postseason record now. So the Raiders have to find a way to reel this team and organization back in. Quickly, we touch on the loss to the Buffalo Bills and what happened in that game. Uh, Carter Witten, this was a big moment for Jason Witten. He cemented himself in another elite category with this touchdown from Derek Carr. Carr drops back into the gun. Jacobs onside is going to throw. Rolling over to the right. Rolling hard. Looking for somebody. Fires in zone. Grab. And touchdown. Jason Witten. Great grab by the future Hall of Famer. He had a big catch on this drive. And the Raiders have scored a touchdown in the last 13 seconds of the first half. Brent Musburger on the call. Witten hit the 13,000 career receiving yards mark. Uh, joining Hall of Famer Tony Gonzalez among all active players, Witten ranks second in receiving yards and receptions while ranking fifth with 73 touchdown receptions. You think of that all-time list? That's pretty impressive that he passed Antonio Gates, Shannon Sharp. When you look at all the tight ends in this new era of football that put up these video game numbers, Witten has stood the test of time, and he is a valuable asset for the Raiders in the red zone. Another milestone in that game, Carr. This touchdown to Aguilar made history. Carr takes the snap, backs it up, fires the end zone, jump ball, touchdown grab. Aguilar, Aguilar's second touchdown catch of the season in the end zone, and a nice grab by Aguilar. And it gives the Raiders at least a life here at the 144 mark. That's for sure there. They got back into the game, but it was a little too late. Uh, That was a big moment because with that touchdown, Derek surpassed the legend. Snake, Ken Stabler for the most passing touchdowns 
151 by a quarterback in franchise history. Let that sink in for a second and what that meant. Derek talked about it after the game, Stabler's record and what it means to him. You know, you get so much in groundhog mode, you know, where you're just playing football, you're you're doing your process, you're like, dang it. I took a moment and just thought about, uh, you know, the snake, you know, and his greatness. Um, You know, he's... He's the best man. You know, I just my tip tip my hat to his family. They've been so gracious to me, so loving to me. That's nice. And the family, Kendra, and the family on the Stabler side, the Grand Snakes, who I've met many times, are really happy for Derek Carr, a true leader and someone who deserves this high honor, even though the team lost, and it was a tough loss to swallow here. So now we move on to Kansas City. But before that, John Gruden had a lot to say this week on Raider Nation Radio on all of his TV appearances, but after the game, he touched on the schedule. It does not get easier as the Raiders got some tough tests in front of them. Anybody's played a tougher schedule than us, tell me who it is. You know, we played Monday night against the Saints, across the country on a short week against the Patriots, and the Buffalo Bills are undefeated in a playoff team. And we're not going to get any sympathy next week either going to Arrowhead. Yeah, that's for sure. And the red zone offense, Coach has been very critical dating back to last year on how they could manufacture more points, how they can get more points once they get in the red zone. Uh, you know, we got stuffed on a couple short yardage runs, which is very disappointed. Twice we got rejected. Uh, Ingold once and Jacobs uh, once. Uh, yeah, you kick yourself. But we were in that football game. We were in that football game, and uh, I think we only punted one time. So we knew we were going to get the ball back. We knew we could move it, and uh, unfortunately, we didn't score enough. So I told you on the game plan, when we get through week four, then I start looking at the stats because in the beginning, they're just light trends. And then after the first quarter of the season, it gets significant. Now you can see who the team is. The Raiders on offense are ranked 15th. 15th ranked offense, 15th in rushing. At 115.3 a game. Pass offense is ranked 13th. 12th in points per game at 27.8. When you look at these numbers here, they're encouraging. They're in the middle or, uh, you know, at a point where they're very respectable. And the Raiders can do a pretty good job. Problem is Kansas City has the fifth ranked offense. They put up over 405 yards a game. And when it comes to their third down efficiency, they're number one. So they are tough to stop on third down. But the defense is what's concerning with the silver and black going forward. Paul Gunther's got his hands full with all the injuries and the players that are hurt and trying to get these young players to step up and play big on game day. It has been a challenge. I saw a lot of confusion in that last game, and players couldn't seal the edge, and the tackling isn't very good. Raiders in total defense ranked 21st. 25th in rush defense. They're giving up 138.3 a game. They've got to get better there. They have to get better there. When it comes to turnover ratio, the fumbles we've been talking about, Carr and Waller in the last game, they're ranked 25th in the league at a minus four turnover ratio. The Chiefs are plus five, which ranks second overall. And the penalties are still okay. The Raiders are ninth in the league with only 19. That's a good number. And they got to keep it there. So there's a lot to get to in this podcast. I'm going to get out of the way and start talking to our guest. But this is a big spot. For the Raiders, the number one priority is to crush the virus. That's big picture. We want the season to go on. Roger Goodell put out a new memo to the entire league, basically telling every coach, every GM, every player that this is it. You have to be close to perfect if we're going to continue playing. And there'll be fines and there'll be significant damage 
to players and organizations that aren't close to perfect when it comes to COVID protocol. But you knew that. Now the Raiders are at a point in their schedule. They're going to get a bye week. Normally you don't like the bye week this early. You want to kind of have it in week eight or nine, but the Raiders are desperate to have it now. And I hope that's encouraging to get back some of the players who have been banged up on the other side, depending on what happens with Ruggs, Edwards, Trent Brown, Richie Incognito. This team has got too many players who are hurt, and the Raiders need them back on the field if they're going to be competitive, let alone a playoff team. Anybody's played a tougher schedule than us, tell me who it has. You know, we played Monday night against the Saints, across the country on a short week against the Patriots, and the Buffalo Bills are undefeated in a playoff team. And we're not going to get any sympathy next week either going to Arrowhead. Joining us, one of the great players in the history of the NFL, Hall of Famer Marcus Allen joins us. Marcus, great to talk to you again. I hope you and your family are doing great. Uh, we are. Thank you very much. Glad to be on. Hey, Marcus, but before we get into football, the big picture of you and you travel a lot, signings, you have a lot of business. Uh, when you see COVID now and some football games being postponed and canceled, how has that affected you as a football player and seeing what a lot of these younger players are dealing with week in and week out? Certainly, you know, I love the game, but certainly I think it's clearly more important than any, any sport out there, so we got to protect lives. And uh, at the same time, I think it's important that we, as a society, uh, you know, we can't crawl up in a fetal position and just sort of do nothing, too. So we got to learn how to live with it. We got to be smart. We got to uh, care for each other, but we do have to live and move. Nicely said. You've been coming to Vegas. I'm assuming since a very young age, your whole adult life. What do you think of Vegas now with the new stadium and especially the new practice facility in the headquarters? Well, I think it, it's changed considerably since the early '70s when I first went there as a young kid. <laughs> and uh, I think we were driving through. Uh, I think. Maybe I think we went from Texas to, uh, to uh, we stopped in Las Vegas uh, to return to San Diego. So that was a long time ago, and it's uh, it's a big difference. And now when you arrive there and you see a beautiful stadium there, it's just uh, you know really a sight to behold. It really illustrates how far Las Vegas has come. Uh, not only the uh, entertainment capital of the world, but I think. Uh, surely becoming the sports capital of the world, too. Outstanding. I wanted to ask you, Marcus, when you look at Vegas now and your relationship with Mark Davis, I was the first to interview you that game day when you came back and lit the torch in memory of Al Davis, and you and Mark have a great relationship. How has that relationship evolved, especially now since the organization has moved from Oakland to Vegas? Well, we do have a great relationship, and we always have. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate sometimes, you know, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's bumps in the road, and, and uh, but that, you know, I think doesn't prevent. Uh, I guess a genuine friendships are hard to break up and stuff. And Mark and I always got along. And uh, when he asked me to to light the torch uh, for his father, uh, yeah, I, I said yes because I'm not the type of person that uh, lets things linger. Um, you know, it's an opportunity to. Uh, to to really sort of uh, not embrace because I've always had, but sort of you know promote the team that I've always loved and enjoyed playing for, and I always thought I should have been a Raider there my entire career. So uh, you know, life is too short to to to, to in my opinion, to uh, you know uh, have animosity and things like that. And I think there's just too many positives for me personally. And to remark that. Uh, you know, I wanted to do that, and I'm glad that I did. And, and, and it, it, 
relationship is always strong, strong, stronger, you know. Uh, he invited me to uh, the screening, uh, Jim Plunkett and I. Uh, I think uh, Napoleon McCallum was the other player that was there, but he invited us to the screening. They had a Monday night when they played the Saints, and I love this position that he felt. He said if he couldn't go to the game, or rather the fans couldn't go to the game, he wasn't going to the game. So, so that's how Mark is. I mean, he's an owner, but he's also a fan, too. And I think uh, sitting down with him, he has talked about really honoring the fans and creating that stadium for the Raider Nation. That's, that's foremost on his mind. And, uh, you know, you've you got to tip your hat off to him. He did a phenomenal job. I mean, you know, I look back in 1982, right? <laughs> they moved to Los Angeles for a new stadium, and that deal didn't work. And then they moved back to Oakland, hoping to get a new stadium. And, and then that's, I mean, that's it's, so it's not like, you know, overnight success. I mean, they've been at it for a while, but Mark uh, took it over the finish line by taking it to Las Vegas and really building a beautiful, beautiful stadium that the Raiders fans will enjoy. Marcus Allen, Hall of Famer, joins us. Uh, let's get to football, and the Raiders now have Josh Jacobs, a running back, that after his first 14 games, Marcus, he passed you and Bo Jackson for most career yards, but he's early in his career. I don't think he's going to pass any of your great records. I can't see that just yet, but the Raiders now feel like they have a featured running back as they go to Kansas City, a guy who can maybe handle ball control, take the air out of the ball, and put the Raiders in a position to win going forward. Assess his play. Well, I hope I hope he does break all the records. <laughs> you know, he, first of all, he's a dynamic human being. I just love the person that he is. Obviously, everybody's willing to score but uh, my opinion, I think he's really the heart and soul of that team. Uh, and we've had that conversation, and I'm telling him that I, I, I think he is the leader of that team, that he should take the reins and run with it and push that team and, and, and lead them uh, to victory. Uh, you know, what he does with the ball, he galvanizes that entire team. His, his, his enthusiastic play and, and his, uh, you know, his, his energy to, to, to play great and to do well, I think it's contagious. So um, I love what he's done so far. I'm, I'm looking forward to him doing even better. I think obviously the sky's the limit. I think the Raiders made him that magnificent uh, pick when they chose him. Marcus Allen joins us. Derek Carr just broke Snake's all-time touchdown record in the silver and black, and you know the great names on that list even before Snake. Uh, your assessment of Derek Carr and how you think he will lead this team going forward. Well, you know, that's pretty good company when you mention Snake. <laughs> uh, all the same, uh, you know, although we, you know, we didn't throw it as many times as we do today, uh, I still think Derek has a great opportunity to, to further uh, put his name, uh, you know, trench his name in the middle of uh, if he continues to play the way he has. Uh, I think the team is certainly going in the right directions. Obviously, we stumbled there, you know, against the Patriots on the road. I mean, that's one thing we have to learn how to do is win on the road. And um, I think they're going to, you know, I think they're running that. Um, again, it's going to take a little time. I think they're a young team, and I think uh, with him at the helm, I think they're going to be fine. Wrapping it up with Marcus Allen, the Hall of Famer, your former team also, Kansas City, where you had an unbelievable career. This team is absolutely loaded, and Patrick Mahomes is already on pace to be one of the all-time greats. 
What type of friendship do you have with him? What type of player is he? Can you compare him to anybody that you've seen in the past or played against? Well, I uh, had a chance to meet him at the uh, American Central Golf Tournament. Uh, it was a delight. Uh, very respectful, yet obviously uh, he's a young, enthusiastic guy. and He's confident with his, with his ability. And uh, it, it's safe to say if he's on this, uh, you know, this trajectory, I mean, he could go down as one of the best ever. Uh, rarely do you see a guy with um, that kind of accuracy uh, throwing from that many different arm angles and stuff. You know, we see Aaron Rodgers and a few other guys like that. But, uh, you know, he can he can swing it. He, and, and he has that. That's what I really like about him. And, uh, um, you know, he knows that, uh, you know, he's the, the leader of that team and stuff. And he leads. And Marcus, last one, it seems like you're going to be around a lot. I know the Raider fans, especially in Vegas, but you know the Raider fans are global. They're thrilled that the relationship you have with the team and Mark Davis and this new stadium and the business that you'll have out here in Vegas and out west again. If we can just wrap it up with you and what it means for you to be a Raider with your great careers and your Heisman Trophy and everything you've done in the Super Bowl with the MVP, once a Raider, always a Raider. What does the future look like for you here in Vegas? Well, you'll certainly see me at the stadium, uh, you know, enjoying games and supporting uh, the Raiders. Uh, you know, when I look back um, over my 16-year career, obviously, you know, 11 with the Raiders, and I think most people identify me as a Raider. i got to tell you, what, it was a, uh, a distinct privilege to play in an organization that was all about winning. Uh, yes, we had different personalities, but they came together for a common cause. And it was, you know, this uncanny resiliency that we had, this, this knack that no matter, to, you know, you know how much we were down or how desperate the game was, we knew we were coming back. That's the kind of guys that we had. Uh, around on the field. We've always had professionals. We've always had alpha guys. We've always had leaders on the field. And, uh, you know, to play in some of the greatest games, I feel, in NFL history, alongside with some of the greatest things. I mean, you cannot mention, you know, you can't talk about the game of football without mentioning certain Raider players. I mean, that's how, you know, strong that brand is and uh, how they've impacted the, uh, the National Football League. And the league is better without question when the Raiders are at the top of their game. It makes the entire league better. So I think it's, um, you know, again, the future is, uh, I think it's going to be a bright one. I think John Gruden has them but in the right direction. Um, and I'm excited to see what they're going to do. Thank you, Marcus. Best to Jamie for setting this up and the Raiders. We greatly appreciate it. Hope to see you soon. My pleasure. You got it. All right, Marcus Allen. Wow, one of the all-time greats there. His relationship with Mark Davis. Uh, everything that's going on in his life now. And once a Raider, always a Raider. We appreciate his time there. Mahomes is something else. I'll give you that. He is a, he's a magician. He's, he's really special. You know, every play, he can take your breath away. But it's a great challenge for us and one we're looking forward to. I'll leave it at that. All right, so we thank Marcus Allen who joined us. We continue on the game plan. Bob Fesco, kind enough to join us from 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City. His show in the mornings is number one out there. Big Chiefs insider. I was on his show, and he's joining us on the game plan. Bob, thanks for doing this. Good time to be covering the Chiefs, huh? Well, yeah, and I'm following Marcus Allen, too. My goodness, what a great, great, great running back to have to follow up. But, yeah, it is a, it really is an amazing time, JT, right now here in Kansas City. I mean, obviously, we're still 
you know, kind of feeling that Super Bowl high because, quite honestly, we really didn't get a chance to enjoy it because as soon as we win the Super Bowl, the parade happens, and boom, it's pandemic, it's lockdown, it's 2020 in a nutshell. And so I think everybody's just kind of having a lot of fun watching this team back out on the field these days. Yeah, and the schedule is really interesting because it hasn't been easy compared to the Niners who went to the Super Bowl and got the Jets and the Giants back-to-back in games there, and they're not very good, and Kansas City beats Baltimore. So how does everybody feel about navigating undefeated through that first quarter? There's no Super Bowl hangover in Kansas City. No, there, there isn't, and, and there wasn't going to be one. And, and, and there was a lot of people that were trying to tell us nationally, oh, there's going to be the Super Bowl hangover. But these guys right away said, no, we're going to run this thing back. And, and they've used a lot of the, the negativity that you know people may have had towards them, that the defense wasn't any good or they got lucky in the playoffs and all that kind of stuff. They use it all as fodder to, you know, to, to try to run this thing back. And to start the season the way that they did, beating Houston, beating Baltimore, beating New England, taking care of the Los Angeles Chargers the way that they did. I mean, you got to think right now through the first four games, that, that's a bear of a schedule to have to go through. And they went through it unscathed. And, you know, I, I've been making the joke since the day Patrick Mahomes signed his contract. 192-0 and is a legit possibility as long as Patrick Mahomes is the Chiefs quarterback. That's the number of games he should play over the next 12 years here in Kansas City. They're going to be a tough out for everybody. What was it like covering Monday Night Football? No Cam Newton. Patriots travel the day of the game, wondering if the game's going to be canceled. And now the new COVID concerns, especially in Kansas City, where fans, a small group of fans, are allowed in. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think the, the Monday Night Football, and I talked to former Chiefs uh, wide receiver Dane Hughes about this, and he's the color analyst on their broadcast as well. And, and I asked him, what, what's more difficult, you know, getting that switch at quarterback basically after you put in a week of practice preparing for one or having to travel the day of the game and play? And he said, you know what, switching and changing out the quarterback's a lot more difficult than traveling on the day of the game because you prepared all week for Cam Newton and then all of a sudden Brian Hoyer's in there and then Stidham's in there at quarterback. And you prepared all week for a quarterback that's going to run and do some of the things that Cam's able to do. And Hoyer and Stidham combined couldn't do anything that Cam wanted to do. So the game plan drastically got changed for the Chiefs. But I I don't know how many people are going to agree with me on this around the NFL. But if I'm the Chiefs, I'm playing a Thursday night game in Buffalo next week. I'm leaving Thursday morning for that game. And I'm touching down and I'm sleeping Wednesday night in my bed, especially with the pandemic that's going on on a short week right now, the Patriots really did not seem phased by the fact that they had to travel to Kansas City. They just got Mahomes. I mean, and, and, and that happens to just about everybody in, in, in Kansas City and when they play the Chiefs. Yeah, there's a lot going on as we're talking to Bob Fesco from 610 in Kansas City because the Raiders lost to New England. Kansas City beats New England in a closer game than I thought. Raiders just lost to Buffalo. Chiefs play the Buffalo on Thursday night football after this one. So a lot of these schedules are combining here. What's the perception of the Raiders? I know it's Raider week with you on your show there with Derek Carr, Darren Waller. Uh, Raiders are a bit banged up, but how do you see the Raiders from your Kansas City view? Well, I, I look at it as a rivalry I wish that was still happening. And it was like back in the old days of Marty Schottenheimer and even before that, JT, where maybe even were too, uh, too young to even really remember the glory days of the 60s of the Chiefs and the Raiders in the early 70s and whatnot. Like, I want it back to those days where John Facenda's talking and you know it was a big game. I want the Raiders to get back to that level where we can consider this a rivalry right now because 
Andy Reid is 12-2 and against the Oakland Raiders since he came here to Kansas City. To me, it's not that much of a rivalry anymore. Baltimore is more of a rivalry. Houston, New England, Pittsburgh, those teams that the Chiefs have to get over in order to you know get to the AFC Championship game and get to the Super Bowl, those are the teams that I consider a rival right now. I would love it for it to be Raider week like it was with Marty Schottenheimer where everybody around town was fired up and ready to go and ready to fight and ready to scrape and ready to win and you know, have that type of attitude, but the Raiders got to start winning some ball games and taking care of business out there. It would be fantastic if both teams were four and zero going into this game, and it really was for the AFC West. And you know, you got casinos already paying out Chiefs bets to win the AFC West through four weeks of the season, declaring this thing over. If the Raiders could get better and and start holding up their end of the bargain, man, the rivalry would be back. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Raiders have to live up to the side of the rivalry. It's one of the best rivalries in the NFL, period, dating back to the AFL and Al Davis and the Hunt family and everything that they've been through. What's important for the Raiders' perspective is to slow down Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, because before you look at all the other weapons that Kansas City has, which I'd like you to jump into, The Raiders haven't been able to stop Kelsey and the misdirection plays. And I've spent a lot of time all week on radio talking about how a play starts one way and then Kansas City drags a player back through a route the other way and the Raiders just can't guard it. Now the Raiders know it because they've seen it so often. How incredible is the play calling of Andy Reid because Gruden is a pretty good play caller with the Super Bowl ring too, but Gruden doesn't have the players that Andy Reid has. Well, Andy Reid's amazing, and and Josh Klingler, who's my co-host on the morning show, is also the sideline reporter for the Chiefs, and he noticed something in the game the other night that, that nobody else really picked up on, and it was about uh, midway through the third quarter, and the Chiefs' offense was kind of struggling, and the Patriots were going on a seven-minute drive. I think it was the one that ended in the in the strip sack fumble, and the Chiefs got the ball back. The entire time, Andy and Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka, the quarterback coach, Patrick Mahomes, and backup quarterback Chad Henney were all kind of sitting on the bench going over things. And then Andy just shoes everybody away. And he's sitting on the bench kind of collecting his thoughts, going through stuff on the, uh, on the iPad, going through stuff on the, you know, on the Surface tablet that they have now in the NFL. And all of a sudden, the Chiefs get the ball back. And the Chiefs go right down the field, first play, 19 yards to Tyreek Hill. Two plays later, 45 yards to Travis Kelsey. In the midst of a drive that the Patriots are going on, Andy Reid's not watching what's happening with his defense. He's fixing that offense. And they go two consecutive drives with touchdowns on offense. And that's just the way Andy Reid operates, basically just changing the entire game plan right in the middle of the third quarter because what they were doing was not working against that New England defense. And now that he has Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at the running back position and the guy can really be a factor in the pass game and the run game, I mean, he's got so many weapons. I said this morning on my show that this team right now is better than the team that won the Super Bowl a year ago because the defense is playing at a high level and they're more talented on offense. Outstanding. One more on the way out here. This is a team that has the potential to become a dynasty. We saw a dynasty in New England. I think it's just going to be tough because of COVID this year. Everything's up in the air, but this is the best team in all of football. You mentioned Baltimore. You look at rivalries going forward. What's the mindset of the callers on your show and now this window that starts with Mahomes with a new contract extension. It's not like Mahomes is starting as a rookie or Mahomes is leaving for more money. To have Mahomes locked in, it feels like forever. This changes sports in Kansas City for the rest of these kids' lives, all these young fans who want to win and, and continue to go back to the playoffs and more Super Bowls. Yeah, it, re- it really does. And, and, and they, they want to be known as the best of all time, JT. I mean, it, it's not just... 
you know, lip service here. They they look at seven. They want to be better than Brady. They want to be better than Jordan. They want to create a legacy where when it's all said and done, it's the greatest, you know, dynasty, if you will, in the history of professional sports, and that's their goal. And as long as Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback and Andy Reid is riding shotgun as the head coach here, I mean, how, how can you pick against him right now? Awesome. Good to talk to you. I've been behaved on your show. You were very well behaved here uh, with, <laughs> without, without going low because, again, this is a great rivalry. Great that we could catch up. No doubt, JT. Appreciate you having me. You got it. There he is, Bob Fesco. Appreciate him coming on. On the game plan. So he could come in and give you a Kansas City perspective. He's got a big show, and that's what we do on this podcast. It's separate from the radio show. It's separate what we do on TV. This is the Game Plan Podcast. We want to give you people with knowledge of the opponent. Okay, It's not just, hey, this is what the Raiders did. This is what the Raiders hope to do. We're trying to figure out how to beat the upcoming opponent, and this is the best opponent that the Raiders are going to face this year twice and in the foreseeable future. They're number two in scoring defense, number five in total defense. Uh, they take the ball away. They blitz you. They come from everywhere. They got a very good linebacker core. They play aggressive coverage in the secondary. And I give Spagnola, the defensive coordinator, a lot of credit. Touchdown, Las Vegas. Since starting Allegiant some 20 years ago, we've flown more than 100 million people to be with those they love. We're pilots, flight attendants, and technicians. But we're also parents, spouses, and neighbors. And just like you, we're excited to reconnect with the people and places that matter most. That's why we're going the distance for health and safety, on the ground and in the air. Because the further we go now, the safer it'll be to go farther tomorrow. Allegiant, the official airline of the Las Vegas Raiders. Low fares, nonstop flights, only at Allegiant.com. So we continue on the game plan with a guest I really wanted to get on. It's important because he's one of the best senior analysts at Pro Football Focus. Steve Palazzolo joins us to preview Raiders at Kansas City. And Steve, I'm excited you're joining us. Thanks again. And I want to get into some of these grades and numbers, especially from a Raiders perspective, because they're really hammered on injuries. Uh, Some of their pro bowlers and stars and draft picks are all out coming into this game. So how are the Raiders grading in general? Uh, Yeah, I think, you know, they, when they were sitting there at two and Oh, I was saying, yeah, they're not grading as well as, you know, their record might show. And I think we've started to see that the last couple of weeks. So um, defenses, Struggling a little bit, struggling a little bit, especially uh, the most important facets, pass rush and coverage. And, and I think offensively, they've been okay. I mean, I think they came into the year with some question marks as far as you know how the playmaker situation was going to unfold. I thought when uh, when Henry Ruggs has been on the field, I think you could kind of like see that impact, even though he hasn't been outstanding himself. You could, you could feel that impact that he brings to the offense. So I think they've been okay. Um, and grading well up front along the offensive line offensively, but uh, having that full cast would certainly help from an offensive point of view. Trent Brown not being there, Richie Incognito, but I want to talk about Brown because his deal fascinates me. He goes from being a Patriot, winning a Super Bowl, the Raiders pay him the most ever at the position, the most clearly ever at right tackle, and a lot of the fans haven't seen him play at that level. What should encourage Raider fans or discourage them with Trent Brown going forward? I mean, he never played at a level that was the best tackle or highest paid tackle ever. I mean, that's just the reality of it. He had, um, he's impressed me. I didn't have high expectations for him coming out of college at Florida, but he got better. He had a, he had a really solid 2017 season with the 49ers. He had that one year that you mentioned, uh, the Super Bowl win with the Patriots in 2018. But even then, he was a, he was a good, not great tackle that year. And, you know, when you're in the Patriots system, you, you definitely get protected by Tom Brady and his 
you know, the quick passing game. So that helped Brown just a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, last year when he was out there for the 500-plus snap, he was solid. Snaps, he was solid. You know, he's a solid starting tackle, which is extremely valuable in today's NFL. We see some disastrous offensive lines out there. Um, and you, I think you just need a solid average type of unit uh, to get by in today's NFL. And that's the type of player that Trent Brown is. He's not a guy, I don't think, that is going to be, you know, like a top five tackle in the league year in, year out. Steve Palazzolo joins a senior analyst, pro football focus on the game plan as we get the game plan ready for the Raiders at Kansas City. Uh, Darren Waller. 90 receptions last year, three touchdowns. So we know that he's a big target. He can catch the ball. He can accumulate yards. But what happens with him in the red zone being double teamed? It seems like the Raiders avoid him at times because he's just out of the play because they assume he's going to be double teamed. Was off to a good start early, especially on that Monday night game, beating Drew Brees and New Orleans. And then he was shut down completely at New England. How do you have Waller graded? What's his ceiling? Yeah, I mean, obviously an amazing story with Waller, and he's become one of the better receiving tight ends in the league. I think, you know, he's earned Derek Carr's trust, which I think is also huge. And, you know, when you look at his production, obviously outstanding week two against the Saints, and then when you go up against any sort of New England team, uh, it's it's trouble if you're a pretty good tight end. He's done, Bill Belichick does a great job against uh, good tight ends, especially ones that are as dependent on as, uh, as a Waller. So, I uh, like him quite a bit, and I think, you know, the lack of a red zone threat around him is a big reason, you know, for the lack of touchdowns. You know, once you once you have other guys emerge in the red zone, open things up for Waller, and I think that's going to be, uh, you know, probably the next big key to his development as, you know, last year was the breakout season, this year, you know, getting him uh, on the scoreboard a little bit more. All right, let's dive into Derek Carr. There's a lot of meat on the bone here. He's having a pretty good year, eight touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, the completion percentage is off the charts again, 73.7 uh, fumbles, though, this year. How do you see Carr? What's happening with Derek Carr through the first quarter of the season? Yeah, I think, you know, Carr's just, he's a really good thrower of the football. You know, he, you can, he, he's, he's accurate. He's, he has enough arm. I love his touch. There's so much to, to really like and appreciate. I think the, the key with him for me is a certain level of aggressiveness. You know, the, the week one was actually a perfect uh, synopsis, I think. I was looking at the first 15 plays. Those, those are usually scripted. He was throwing down the field um, at, at a higher rate than anyone else in the league. And then once the first 15 plays are over, it was the lowest in the league, lowest average depth of target. I think there's a level of aggressiveness that I think Derek Carr needs to tap into. So, yeah, the interception totals are generally low and, but you're talking about a guy that can make every throw in the book, um, and especially when Ruggs is back and you have guys that can stretch and spread the field a little bit more. I would just, I just want to see him be a little bit more aggressive because he's capable, and I think that is when the Raiders really take off. You know, he's got five turnover-worthy plays this year. He doesn't have any interceptions to show for it, so that's the fumbles and other passes that should be intercepted. Got away with a few against New England. Obviously, the fumble in the end zone, not great in the New England game. So. As, as great as the stat sheet is, maybe as taking care of the ball, I want to see Derek Carr firing the ball down the field, being a little bit more aggressive because I think he's more than capable of doing that. Do you think in order to get better at that, he's got to make plays outside the pocket and extend plays more? Yeah, you know, it is it's it is easy to look around the league and look and be like, be like hey, I, I want a Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. I want those guys, Deshaun Watson. So it's never really going to be Carr's game, but I think the – the thing to look at, Tom Brady hit a point in his career. He's always been great, but right around 2014, he actually made a point to make a few more plays outside of structure. It's not his game, but it was literally one or two plays a game 
where Brady just had to extend the play, try to make you know make something happen, and he really upped his game over the last you know five or six years before, you know, before leaving New England. I think that's the type of move for a car, but you also need some natural instincts out there. You know, it's, it's playing with fire sometimes. It's not really Carr's game, but if he could add one or two plays a week where he's winning or creating a positive play where there shouldn't be one, everybody's covered. Instead of taking a sack, you can create a play outside of structure. I think that is potentially huge for Carr's development. Yeah, Steve, we wanted to have you on to look at the Raiders' numbers because this is a slippery slope now with the season, 2-0, 2-2, with Kansas City, the bye week, then Tom Brady and Baker Mayfield. And with all the injuries there, they got to get explosive plays. With Josh Jacobs' time of possession, it seems like when he's below 20 touches, the Raiders lose. If he's above 20, they win. You would think going into a game, they'd want to get to that number with him when it comes to rushing attempts and catching the ball out of the backfield. But he does get nicked up a lot because he's an undersized player. What's your grade on Josh Jacobs and what do the Raiders need from him? Yeah, he's got an average grade this year for us. He was outstanding last year. You know, even this year, though, he's, he's forcing a lot of missed tackles, does have a fumble in there. Um, he's just not creating as much after contact as he did uh, last year where he was just so good. And uh, I think the Raiders' O-line was, was solid, but they got a ton of credit for Jacobs' work last year. But Jacobs was the guy. Like He was, he was creating after contact, making people miss. So, um, I do like him quite a bit. I think the the issue with chasing touches for running backs is a lot of times it's, it's game flow driven. You know, you get to those 20 touches when it's the fourth quarter and you're winning and everything. I still think more touches for tight ends and receivers are, are the way to go. You see that in Carolina a little bit with Christian McCaffrey. He's out, but you're getting more touches for their playmakers, their receivers, their tight ends. So um, I, I think that's the bigger issue for the Raiders right now is having, you know, receivers that you can trust. Uh, another compliment to Darren Waller out there, and I think that's the biggest key for the offense. And then Josh Jacobs becomes a nice complimentary piece where when you do have that mismatch against the linebacker, man, he can run some pass routes pretty well. We've seen that a little bit this year. And when you do have favorable box counts, he can make people miss. So I think that's the best way to run the offense. Not so much through the running back, but having a nice running back that can do everything as a complimentary piece to everything the pass game's doing. Wrapping it up with Steve Palazzolo, kind enough with his time on my national show on the game plan. Really appreciate that. And Steve, with this pass rush for the Raiders, Max Crosby, Cleland Farrell, I really thought Malik Collins coming in with Corey Littleton behind him and Nick Kwiatkowski, that would change everything for this defense, and it hasn't. They're not getting much of a pass rush. Why is that? Yeah, they're really not. It's a little bit better than it was last year. It's not showing up in sack totals. Um, you know, Maurice Hurst, I know he just had the, the COVID deal, but he's the guy that's actually winning the most up front uh, on, on the defensive interior. But beyond that, you're getting a little bit from Arden Key, uh, but there's really not much there. I, I think part of the issue is Cleveland Farrell coming out was never really a great pass rusher at Clemson. He was always a good, solid, run-first type of edge defender, so not the most exciting pick at number four overall. I think Max Crosby will get back on track, though. He's definitely off to a really slow start this year, but uh, very impressive last year. Uh, with 45 total pressures, and uh, he was awesome at Eastern Michigan, and I expect him to bounce back a little bit more. But I think it's just a, a talent issue. It's a whole bunch of solid players up front that need to step up you know, their game because there's, there's really no superstars anywhere along that defensive line for the Raiders. And, Steve, finally, big picture with Kansas City, with Mahomes. It, we seem like we have the blueprint, but you guys break it down better than anybody. Time of possession, the Chargers had it big, took them to overtime. And I was surprised with the way we saw Hoyer and Stidham play that New England really was in that game on a day where they traveled the day of the game. 
Do you see any right. holes in Kansas City from this time last year or the year before? Yeah, I think I think the part about the blueprint is that's challenging is it, it takes defensive stops. You know, even if you do have a yeah. perfect game from a time of possession standpoint, they're still getting the ball, you know, 10 or 11 times in a game. If you save one possession, it can help a little bit. It's the defense. You know, the Chargers did a really good job on the back end making Mahomes a little bit indecisive. And obviously the New England Patriots did a great job of that. That was the fifth straight game where Mahomes had a, a not-so-great grade by PFF standards, even though the final stat line was good. That was one of the worst games of his career. It got padded by two little tap passes at the end that somehow count as touchdowns. So I, I think the blueprint is playing good defense, which means covering Travis Kelsey, covering Tyreek Hill. And what New England does is they mix it up with their safeties and just take away, change up who they're doubling, uh, discourage first reads. It's a really challenging. It, the execution of that is tough, and I think that's what you need uh, when you're going up against Kansas City. Just kind of get Mahomes off of his rhythm and then hope that he doesn't make one, of, one or two of those special throws. We saw one in the Chargers game that got them back in it. We didn't see that in the, New Eng- in the New England game, and that's why it was even closer than expected. So playing good defense somehow against Mahomes and the Chiefs is, is the very difficult blueprint to try to follow. With all the analytics, the computers, everything you guys do, finally with COVID popping up with Tennessee and some COVID-positive tests around the league, do you have just a thing you could leave us with, uh, a comment you could leave us with on the schedule with bye weeks, the back end of the season, and what you think could happen if COVID pops up even more? Yeah, it, it sounded like the NFL could have you know something in their back pocket as far as an alternate schedule and being able to push things back. I, I do think they're in a every other league had to adjust, right? And the NFL has not adjusted anything outside of a hand, you know a couple games so far, one game so far. So um, I think they have enough flexibility to push things back a week or two, push the playoffs back just a little bit, uh, push things into February. And I, I assume that this summer when they were going through the scheduling, they had these things in mind. So I would keep an eye on that and you know just see if they just buy themselves just a little bit more time as they have to reschedule some games. Steve, thanks a lot for being patient and doing this. Greatly appreciate your insight. What you guys are doing at Pro Football Focus, the podcast, the premium package, and all that is second to none. Continued success. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You got it. Steve Palazzolo, great that we could get him on. He is the ultimate podcast guest. He's starting to go on radio more and more. I've seen him on the Dan Patrick show. I've seen him on some TV shows. Because what Pro Football Focus does is they grade every play. Every play, not every game, every play. And you're hearing a lot about the loss of rugs and what that means to Derek. And then what I thought it was fascinating what he said about the first 15 plays and when they're scripted for Derek, and then what happens after that. And he agrees he's got to be more aggressive attacking downfield. Darren Waller's got a high ceiling and the pass rush, everything he said and Hear what he said at the end. You got to cover Kelsey. I'm going to leave you on the podcast with that as we wrap it up. You have got to cover Kelsey. He's going to the Hall of Fame for what he's done against the Raiders. The Oakland Raiders. Now let's stop it with the Las Vegas Raiders. Put a double team on Kelsey. Try to do something to slow him down. You can't give him a five-yard cushion. And hopefully, hopefully the linebackers can make it a little bit tougher on him. That's the game plan. Going into the bye week. How about that? Then Tom Brady coming out of the bye week. I really enjoyed this edition. I really appreciate you downloading. For everyone at Silver and Black Productions, I'm JT. Have a great game on Sunday. Enjoy the game at Arrowhead and enjoy the bye week. And we'll get you ready with the podcast right after that for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the game plan. Thank you for listening to the game plan on the official Raiders podcast network.